Heavenly Father, we uh, long to see your name exalted uh, and the pride of man humbled. And that's the aim of this psalm. So Lord, we pray that you would humble us and bring us down so low to a point where we accurately assess who we are in light of how great you are. So that in our humility, in our emptiness, you might exalt us, you might fill us, you might be all in all. That you might finally receive the glory that is due to your name in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 127 verses 1 to 5. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Um, there's a famous saying that you guys may have heard of. Uh, it says, man proposes, but the Lord disposes. Um, it's a, it's a famous translation of, of a Latin phrase that Thomas de Kempis uh, made famous through his book, uh, The Imitation of Christ, The Imitation of Christ. It's really a distillation of Proverbs 19.21, which many of you are familiar with. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Um, because there is a widespread uh, illusion among humankind that we are masters of our own fate. But the truth is that we control an infinitesimally small fraction, a small fraction of the myriad factors in life, in the world, in society, and around us that affect us, influence us. In fact, we are not in control at all, uh, if we really reflect on that reality. And Psalm 127 is a timely reminder of that, that we should engage all of our endeavors with conscious dependence on the Lord. Uh, the first two verses, the first strophe talks about the vanity of self-sufficiency. Uh, and then verses 3 to 5 talk about the blessedness of God-dependency. Um, so let's look at verses 1 to 2 uh, first. It repeats the phrase, in vain, uh, three times. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. 
Uh, the word vanity here means uh, worthlessness or futility, uh, that it's futile, that it is for naught, it's a waste uh, to engage in these activities apart from the Lord's superintendence. Uh, first, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Uh, the Hebrew word for house is often used in Scripture to refer to God's temple, uh, the house of God. Um, and uh, for a number of reasons, I think that's the original context in which this psalm was composed. Um, it, and uh, I think it had the house and the household of God in view at first. First, if you look at uh, the subtitle of the psalm, it, we know that it belongs to a collection that we've been in for, for a few months now, the Songs of Ascent, uh, Psalms 120 to 134. Uh, the consistent theme of all the psalms in this collection, Songs of Ascent, is that it, is, it, it captures a longing uh, for Jerusalem and for God's temple. Uh, it it's de- depicts this metaphorical ascent toward the dwelling place of God. And secondly, the rest of the subtitle says, of Solomon. So this means either that Solomon composed the psalm or that the psalm deals with the circumstances that are related to Solomon. Uh, and, and verse 1 can be referring to the time when Solomon, of course, was building up Jerusalem and uh, constructing the temple of God, the house of God. Uh, and then and thirdly, verse 2 says, the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. Um, the phrase his beloved is likely a reference to Solomon uh, because we know from Second Samuel chapter 12, verse, verse 24 and 25, that the Lord's beloved is, is Solomon's nickname. Uh, it says in that passage, in that verse, 2 Samuel 12, 24-25, The Lord loved Solomon and sent the message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name, Solomon's name, Jedediah, because of the Lord. Jedediah means uh, literally the Lord's beloved. It's the same word that's used here in this psalm. Uh, so the, the subtitle gives us a clue to that, clue to that of Solomon. So it's a... It's Sol- if Solomon wrote Psalm 127, as it, if the subtitle seems to suggest, or if that's the original background in which the psalm was written, uh, Solomon understood that unless the Lord builds his house, unless the Lord watches over his city, even the diligent construction efforts by the greatest architects and engineers and craftsmen, builders, even the vigilant defense of the bravest military would be for nothing. It would all be waste. Um, but this doesn't mean that uh, the psalm only applies to Solomon's original context. We know that this poem was included in the Psalter for God's people to use in corporate worship for generations to come. So we know that's not the only context in which it applies. The word house is generic. Uh, it can refer not only to God's temple, but it can also refer to people's houses, literal physical houses, or to their households, their families. Uh, and the rest of the psalm does seem to apply the phrase more ge- generically in that way, to build a house uh, in a metaphorical sense of building one's family as well. And so then we can apply this to our own lives in a number of ways. And we could ask ourselves the questions like this, what is the house that you are laboring to build in your life? What is the city that you are watching over in your life? What do you worry about in life? However you answer that question, if the Lord is not in the picture, uh, this psalm is telling us that it's in vain, it's futile, worthless. 
if we examine our lives, I think um, uh, often we substitute our own names in the place of the Lord. Uh, if you look at verse 1, unless Sean builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Sean watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That's what I do sometimes in my sinfulness, right? What arrogance and self-importance. We are obsessed with how vital we are to our families and to our society, but the Lord says, no, that's not the truth. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the church, all pastors labor in vain. We are not in control of our own lives. Our, our strict diet, exercise regimen for our health and well-being can be derailed by cancer or a car wreck. Our disciplined study and diligent work for our career success can be derailed by a recession. Our best laid plans can be derailed by a pandemic. And these are only the most dramatic examples, right? There are countless ways to demonstrate that we are simply not in control of our own lives. Now, I'm not saying uh, forget about these things altogether. We should work diligently. We should take care of ourselves. We should be prudent. I mean, eating Oreos and drinking Coca-Cola every day, trusting that God's going to keep you healthy is not faith. That's presumption, right? Um, that's not entrusting ourselves to God's purposes and priorities. That's co-opting God for our purposes and priorities, right? Similarly, being uh, irresponsible during a pandemic and, and attending packed rock concerts and playing flag football with a whole bunch of people, presuming upon God's extraordinary protection while neglecting the ordinary means of protection that he has given us is not faith, but presumption. It's difficult to balance this sometimes because presumption often masquerades as faith and faithlessness often masquerades as wisdom. Um, and uh, Numbers 13, 14 give us a good example, uh, give us good examples of both. After the Israelite spies returned from surveying the land of Canaan, the land that the Lord had promised to give them, they bring a discouraging report uh, saying, All the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So think about it from a worldly perspective. Would you want to go fighting against a society full of, you know, LeBron Jameses? And would you want to fight against a society full of Olympic athletes, even when, when they outnumber you? That makes no sense. That is stupid. Uh, that is worldly-wise foolish. Uh, and so at that point, people lose courage and rebel against the Lord, saying it would have been better for them to stay in Egypt. But Joshua and Caleb challenged them, saying, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Literally, they're like, that's like, I guess that's Hebrew idiom for saying piece of cake. You know, they're bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now the people, however, don't listen to Joshua and Caleb and they try instead to stone him to death, uh, forcing the Lord to intervene and show up in his glory to put the fear of God back into their hearts. Uh, 
Uh, and, and as a punishment for their faithfulness, the Lord decrees that Israel will have to wander the wilderness for 40 years and none of the people who grumbled against him will enter the promised land. Only their children uh, and Joshua and Caleb who are faithful to him. Uh, and now at that point, people regret what they have done uh, and, and they uh, proceed to march toward battle against the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Despite the fact that the Lord had uh, already declared uh, that he's no longer with them in battle. And so it says in Numbers 14, verses 44 to 45, But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them. Now this episode uh, is a picture of a contrast between faith and presumption. Right? Joshua and Caleb had faith that God would give them victory in line with his purposes and priorities. The people of Israel, on the other hand, vacillated between faithlessness and presumption, which are actually two sides of the same coin because both have man rather than God at the center of their outlook. Right? Measuring their military strength be, uh, up against that of the Canaanites and judging their prospect for victory purely in human terms without putting God in the equation. Uh, and then losing courage and refusing to go up in the battle. That's faithlessness. Of course, from the point of worldly wisdom, it was stupid and foolish to fight when your strength is small compared to that of your enemies. But it's not stupid if God is on your side. Uh, likewise, insisting on going up into battle when you are outnumbered and when you don't have God's special assurance of deliverance Thinking that you could win, that's presumption. Uh, we have to avoid both. Right? Now, in our area where we live in Cambridge, uh, a city full of competent people, self-sufficient people, we more often find faithlessness masquerading as wisdom. Uh, many people are anxious and fearful uh, because they believe that they are masters of their own fate. Uh, and that is uh, the truth. Uh, if you uh, come to grip with it, uh, a terrifying possibility if that is true. But verse 2 exhorts us otherwise. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So let me ask you these questions. What keeps you up uh, at night? What preoccupies you with anxiety? Maybe it's what people think of you. Maybe it's concern of keeping yourself and, your, and or your family and friends healthy. Maybe it's making sure that you're getting paid and putting food on the table. Maybe it's advancing your career, being successful. You might you know, be more careful with sanitary things and social distancing than anybody else in the world. You might work more hours than anybody else in the world. You might study harder than anybody else in the world. You might be more gifted than anybody else in the world. But it's all in vain if the Lord is not with you in your endeavors. That's the vanity of self-sufficiency, um, especially for the Christian. Uh, and then in contrast, in verses 3 to 5, uh, the psalmist gives us a picture of the blessedness of God-dependency. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Uh, notice the contrast in verse, between verse 2 and verse 
three, uh, the the it's described as the bread of anxious toil that we lose sleep over, always toiling, trying to trying to earn our way towards towards survival and self advancement. Uh, and contrast that with the, the phrase of verse three, the fruit of the womb of reward, not anxious toil, but womb of reward that God graciously gives. Uh, and 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 it's this is the picture of of what what happens when the Lord builds a house. The Lord builds a household. Children are heritage through the womb of reward. It's given by the Lord not earned by clawing our way and pulling ourselves up by our own own bootstraps. And then verse 4 continues, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So the two images of building one's house and one's household uh, and of watching over a city, guarding a city, uh, in verse 1. Uh, both of those are uh, have their kind of matching uh, sections in verses 3 to 5. Right? Children are heritage, fruit of womb reward. And, and, and our children, uh, the, the, we're blessed with when we're in our, in our youth, they are grow up and are able to stand with us, to defend us, uh, and to come by our side. Uh, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. These, this is the city, this is the household, that is built up securely, uh, that is protected uh, by the Lord. And, and, and that is described not as in vain. It's not vanity, but rather it is blessedness. Uh, our own striving on our own, in our own self-sufficiency is vanity. But our striving in the Lord, in God dependency, is blessedness. Verse 5, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And uh, and ultimately, uh, like all the Psalms and like all passage of Scripture, this is fulfilled uh, in the Lord Jesus, uh, who is the who is described uh, in First Corinthians four as the the builder, uh, the one who 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 builds uh, the household of God. Ultimately, uh, in in the, in the strength of the Lord, in the Spirit of the Lord, uh, and He does everything well. Uh, and uh, and he was a picture during his life of being completely entrusted to his father, saying and doing only what he saw his father say and do. Uh, and and in, in perfect example of that, he died on the cross in obedience to the father, uh, in perfect submission, uh, not tr- not working uh, for the bread of anxious toil, uh, but trusting his father, uh, resting in him. Uh, and out of that came the fruitful, the fruit of the womb, a reward, uh, the fruit of many children in the household of God, uh, all of our salvation. Uh, and, and, and that is what gives us ultimately hope that even, uh, even uh, when the circumstances in this world are not ideal, even when things are not going the way we would like, uh, it is God dependency that is blessed, not self-sufficiency. And, and when we trust in Him and live in that way, uh, God, uh, we, our lives too will be fruitful in much the same way, Jesus' life, even though it might have looked like a tragedy from a worldly point of view, was fruitful uh, towards salvation of many. Uh, so let's uh, 